You're listening to The Hour with Resident Advisor. The Hour! This, this, this is this, this, The Hour. You're listening to The Hour. This is The Hour. With Resident Advisor. Hello and welcome to The Hour. My name's Ryan Keeling and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. The Hour is RA's blend of documentaries, discussion, interviews and lots of other things besides. Coming up on this month's show. I have a phrase that I always tell people, I said, don't DJ me. And they're like, what do you mean? Don't DJ you. Don't DJ me. Yeah, don't DJ me. <laughs> don't DJ me. No, not my music, but like, don't, you know, because I don't, I'm, I don't. Don't put me on a bill as a DJ. Yeah, please. Yeah, 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 cool. yeah Like, yes, yeah. please don't DJ me. Jay Lynn and Iconica sit down together to talk about their new albums and compare notes on the creative process. And some RA editorial staff gather in a park to say who or what has excited them the most so far this year. There was a guy who was next to me who said uh, that hardcore Aphex Twin fans are really nice and so they won't start punching in or pushing in. And to an extent that was true because I mean, I never, I never got that hairy, but people were like certainly kind of being pretty ruthless about getting to the front. But first it's behind the track. We finally released our Real Scenes London film this month, so we've selected a track this time out that couldn't be more London. We had Steve B from Rank Records stop by to tell us the story behind MB and General Levy's Incredible, and it's a story that lives up to the track's title. Incredible was a track that shook Jungle to its core, both because of the enormous success it achieved and how much some people in the scene were against it. These days, Incredible is simply seen as one of UK sound system culture's biggest anthems. But back in the 90s, it was a highly divisive piece of music. Hi, I'm Steve B from Rank Records, and in 1994, we released Incredible. Wicked, wicked, jungle is massive. Wicked, wicked, jungle is massive. Wicked, wicked, jungle is massive. Wicked, original, well, big up. All the original jungle is massive. The original dancehall jungle is there. General Levy alongside the MB. The world is in trouble. Oh, what we tell the murderer? It goes. I am the incredible general. I've been affiliated to the label probably from about 91, 92. Still licensed stuff for, for people and stuff like that. So the record Incredible was produced by MBeat, obviously featuring General Levy. MBeat as a producer probably started in 91, I guess. Jamaican, but uh, yeah, East London Roots Forest Gate started off making hardcore records that mutated into what we would call today as Jungle. The gentleman that owns Rank is called Junior Hart. MB is his son. So it was, yeah, father-son father relationship, which uh, makes the uh, story a little more interesting as you go along. Incredible. If you listen to MB's output from about 93, basically what he was doing was he was sampling, I guess you'd call them bashment records and maybe old soul and rare groove tunes. So the thinking maybe was, instead of sampling these people, why don't we get people in to do it live? We were working with live musicians, we were playing out live as well. So MB had actually sampled Levy in one of his older tracks. We were published through EMI, a chap called Guy Moot. I think the numbers were exchanged through, through those people. Levy just called up one day and yeah, we, we got him down. So I was the, the so-called A&R guy. Everything before this, it's quite difficult to get your head around now, but 
at these times, no one had made a full song. No, it was all snippets. It was little, little samples. No one had ever gone, right, start there and finish right at the end, make it a song. When they played me the rough demo, I was like, yeah, it's good, but it's too much. It's too much, it's too much. Like, you can't put that out. There's no way you can put that out. But my boss made me see the light, Junior, and uh, it was a massive change because no one had done anything like that. It was a massive departure at the time. I'm glad they didn't listen to me. <laughs> it was around the time of Easter weekend. I think it must have been 94. We'd gone to Music House to cut. I remember Frost being at Music House and he'd heard it and was like, you've got to give me this tune. And was like, nope, Junior was not having any of it. He's like, nope, nope, sorry, nope. Um, but but yeah, he, he relented in the end. Yeah, we only gave it to, to three DJs. And I, I remember specifically, it was a bank holiday weekend, I know that for sure. So we cut it on the Thursday. Them lot went out Friday, Saturday, and Tuesday, our phones just lit up, like just blew, just like an explosion, just blew up. And there was only three people that had it. Devious said he, he played the tune for like half an hour or something. He like literally, he had to wheel it up eight times and stuff like that. It was crazy, yeah. I think as far as sales wise was concerned, I'm not sure if it was 350 or 450,000 that we sold. I remember at the time, you couldn't move without hearing that record. I'd walk down the street, I'd hear it coming out of someone's room. A, a car would drive past, you'd hear it. The radio would be on, you'd hear it. Anywhere you went, you'd hear it. So a lot of people liked that record from kids up to whoever. Got to number eight in the charts, totally independent. We had murders with that record, absolute murders. I believe he did an interview in the Face or ID magazine. The sentence that really kicked it off was, I don't know if he said I'm bigging up jungle or I'm running jungle or something like that. So I think the people from the jungle fraternity, some of them took, you know, quite offence to that because, you know, from their point of view, you've got this reggae artist who's never sort of done anything to do with jungle drum and bass. He's got a hot record and now he's, you know, king of the jungle as it were sort of thing. So yeah, there was a, a now famous meeting with a lot of the, the big jungle boys. They um, formed a committee and, and carried on with all sorts. You know, if people play the record, we're going to boycott you. You're not going to play at raves. If we see this, we're going to do that. Da, 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 da. So we had that to contend with. Plus, London wanted to injunct the record. They, they tried to. We were totally independent. We were fighting all of these crazy things. And uh, you have to remember, no one was interested in that music for years. We were a self-contained unit. The West End didn't want us. Record labels weren't interested. We had our own distribution. We had our own radio stations. It was self-built. Everybody built, you know, they all had a part to play all over the country. So this chap comes along and runs off his mouth and people get upset. Uh, you know, I can, I can understand, but I mean, to, to actually form a committee to say, you know, and some of the things that were coming out was like, you know, if promoters book him or us to play, they're going to boycott them. If any DJs play the record, they're going to take the record off the turntable, smash it, give them a fiver, and then they're ostracised from the scene. We had a tune. I'd given this A-list jungle guy, still is today, gave him a remix to do. And then I got a call a couple of days later saying, look, I can't give you this thing because they're all going mad. And like, I don't want to get involved in it. So he took out all the remix samples and, and it's an anthem today. There was all sorts of craziness going on. I, I really didn't understand it at the time. It was shocking as well. It seemed a bit like kids throwing their toys out of the pram almost, you know? Incredible. 
So the reason I think this record's lasted so long, I've had this conversation with Envy a couple of times. He seems to think that it's got like a nursery rhyme quality to it. If you listen to, if you actually sit and listen to it, there's a lot more going on than that. But he, he seems to think it's something to do with that. Like subsequently over the years, I've bumped into people that are really like big artists now that are like, that was the first record I ever bought. I bought that on a tape when I was at school and that's what got me into jungle and stuff like that. Wicked. We're gonna get Siri. I have cursed at Siri so many times, and her response oh, yeah. is like, "That's not nice." Yeah. I tell Siri, "I love you," and then she's like, "I don't think that's appropriate." Like, <laughs> like so. Yeah. That's I'm, cold. Yeah. It's what pretty you mean? rude. Exactly. So, is it is Iconica? It's Iconica. Iconica. Yeah. A lot of people used Jaylen, to say that. Like, okay. Yeah. Back in the day, Iconica. I, I'm so or e- sorry. Iconica is a good one as well. Iconica. Okay. Yeah. Say it again for me. Iconica. Iconica. Okay. That's okay. So it's like icon, right? Yeah. I got you. Which is quite pretty, I might add. But why that name? It comes from the word iconoclast, mm-hmm. and that means someone that destroys religious objects. Mm. So. I'm not trying to do that, literally, no. in a literal sense, but mm-hmm. in a musical sense. I was that weird kid listening to metal and R&B and, mm. and like so many mad genres. Um, I felt it was only right when I started producing to kind of rebel and have mm-hmm. that kind of attitude. And maybe mm-hmm. that punk attitude that I had when I was playing the drums in like bands when I was younger. Mm, okay. So have that kind of come into play. You don't like tradition? I don't like tradition, nah. Okay. I mean, you'll see it in my song arrangements. Like, right. Especially with like vocals. Like, Yes, yeah. I noticed that. Um, it was actually, <laughs> I had to ask myself about five times when I was listening to your album. The song that the, I actually listened to your album in reverse, by the way, Jeez. which was by, <laughs> which was by sheer accident. Wait, not like, not totally fully in reverse. Playing, no, by the last song to okay, the front. Okay, okay so because yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, which you know that's not a bad idea it's i should like start a little countdown yeah like completely <laughs> i was like wow oh this was the last track right and so when i hit the last track i said wait so can she i was like can she sing can you sing oh no that's not me that's jesse lanza oh okay yeah. so because i was like wow can she sing and i got really excited i wish that, i could sing like jesse she's got such a nice high <laughs> soft Cause I, like I was, effortless voice. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was like, like a deep voice. <laughs> Did I put on a deep voice? Then? No, but it was cool though. That's why I was, I just, I was wondering, I was like, wow. I was like, can she sing? That was like, like the first thing that initially sure, yeah, like yeah. struck me. Cause I'm always listening. I love vocals, different types of vocals, not necessarily a person singing or musically. Sometimes it's just the tone yeah, of a person's voice. you just don't want voice. it to be verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you know, I like sometimes, like I'll give you an example. I love that James Blake can sing one verse and then sing the bridge and then it's just amazing. He could sing the same verse five times and it'd still be great yeah, yeah. just like you heard it for yeah. the first time. Well, my favorite thing is just to sing a load of hooks. Yeah, exactly. Like, right. <laughs> like, exactly. Don't waste you know, your time just, us. just not traditional, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah, exactly. I'm glad you asked me that. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Tell me, is it such a crime? We don't want you.
You're listening to The Hour from Resident Advisor. Alright, when I'm listening to Black Origami, I feel like I'm on a mission or trapped in a maze. It's kind of frantic and I love all the panning that you've used. Um, how do you feel listening back and like, do you feel the same way? Was that the intention? Like, it's a bit crazy, you know? When I listen back to any track, and not even just Black Origami, I think because I'm so moody in a sense musically, that can change where today I, ha- I loved it and then tomorrow I hated it. And then today, and then the next day was amazing. And then the next day, horrible. How could I do such a thing? Um, so it just really, it depends on really what state of mind am I in or what mood am I in. But as far as like when it comes to like the panning, I just like, I guess my sounds to hit in different ways and not just in just this all one direct one focal point thing, you know, like the the bass is coming in from the left and then I might clash in with the drums and then they sound like they've collided and some big explosion has happened. So those kinds of things, usually those are like fly-by-night decisions, I think. Like they're like, ooh, let me try that real quick, but not necessarily, um, you know, like I, I never come in with the intent of doing anything. Just kind of happens in the middle of the process, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like, it must sound crazy just on the headphones and just everything kind of spinning around like it's very 3D. Yeah, sometimes it can get hectic. Um, sometimes I don't like it on the headphones because it becomes too much for me, even though I'm the one making it. But it can become too much for me where I can't take it. And then it's hard to feel because it, it, with the headphones on, sometimes it can just be overtaking and too overwhelming. Like, I remember classic example was I was actually making the title track Black Origami. I could have probably finished it in two days, but it took me an additional four because every time I got to the ending, I just kept getting this feeling of being overwhelmed and I would have to leave my room because it was just too much energy in my room because that's where I was making it. And Would you say it was like fatiguing or was it was just it was fatiguing because I was probably like slaving away at it. But then also too, I was very happy with it at the same time. So it was like a happy and tired thing, I guess, at the same time. So yeah, because yeah. you put your labor in, and, right? Yeah. Exactly, but you're but you're satisfied at the same time. So it's like a lot. It's like a paradox almost of two emotions coming together, and they're fighting against each other. And then you just don't want to be in the middle of the fight, so you just leave, which is what I would do. So would you say like your personality almost changes when you completely? I morph into like a totally different. I don't even. I think there's some type of metamorphosis that goes on for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Is it? Would you say there's like a like one of a character or many? Um, I would have to say it's probably. I think there's one character. There's me, but then there is like a whole nother. I think it's like a totally separate, I don't think it's within myself, I think it's a totally separate entity that has nothing to do with me but just happens to be there <laughs> that we can work. It's actually quite, if that makes sense, it's probably Yeah, no, it makes crazy. sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's kind yeah. of a, like an automatic. Yes, yeah, completely. It's just, it's just a feel of, um, and a lot of it is like trial and error too, having the experience over so many times for so, you know, doing this for quite some time now. And then you kind of know what to do and then you know, and then you also know what not to do. And then you're also like, oh, but shit, I'm lost. And then it's like, no, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I am now. So then you react to that. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great answer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
my question to you is how long did it take for you to find your sound and what were the greatest challenges along the way? I feel more comfortable with my sound these days now. I think people are getting it right describing my music and I'm kind of happy about that. It's, it's nice to be like, yeah, I agree with that rather than, nah, that's completely wrong. And I would say it's like science fiction, R&B, but with loads of AE synths and some just modern drums. So yeah, this is something I'm really into. I might change my mind in a year or two. When did you feel stable in th- your sound? I think right in this last album. Yeah. You feel yeah, yeah. Okay. Cuz the the second album was um, was called Aerotropolis and it was kind of me pretending to go in the time machine and going back to the 80s and 90s and seeing what I would produce if I was around at that time playing with those fantasies. But now I just feel a bit more grounded. How does your life line up with your music? I think my earlier stuff is maybe a bit floaty or dreamy or it's um just escapism. I feel distractions is a bit more of a physical thing. Um, even with the artwork, it's it's about road, it's about concrete, it's about buildings. It's um, a little bit cold, I think, and a bit kind of gray and blue, like the album cover. My face is on the pavement. That's how grounded it is. Nice, nice. That's <laughs> it's how like great a slap it is. on the face. Yeah, no, on I- that cold pavement. So there's like a lot of like tabla sounds, drums mm. in your new album. Mm. Um, would you say there's an attraction to those sounds? Like, and like, where did that attraction come from? Oh, that's an easy one. I was kind of fascinated in my heartbeat. I don't know why, but I am. I'm still fascinated. But I love drums. Um, I just I love percussion. I shouldn't just say drums. I should just say the entire line of percussions, period. Because I also love like you know like the cowbell to me and just like the Tibetan bells. I love them, and um, a lot of that had came in black origami because um, I was traveling to India. Um, I have, I've gone to India four times now since last year. There's a person that I collaborate with who actually dances with, yeah. Yeah, because I wanted to ask this Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she actually dances with me. Her name is Avril. So when I go, you know, it's like we, we, we hang out, you know, and everything. But also, too, India's music culture is so rich. Well, just their culture alone is so rich. But then musically, it is just, like, astounding. And a lot of it I can relate to, especially of being of African descent, because, um, you know, it's just, it is it is inside of me naturally, you know, being melanated. It's just, it's there. You know, you, you recognize, you. it's like something, it's very intuitive for me. I know that sound. I know it very well. Having, like, a tabla or a... A sarangi or you know a, a djembe. What's a sarangi? It's um it's a string instrument. In a sense, it's 
kind of now I wouldn't say wholeheartedly but of the sitar but it has like its own vibe like you you know it as soon as you hear it you know it was that type of an instrument and um also used instrument out of India which Avril gave to me called the storm drum and it's like this huh cool name storm drum it's funny because her middle name is stormy for real and everybody think it's a nickname but that's really her middle name yeah but and but this actual piece of equipment is called the storm drum and it's like you would think it was plastic but it's not and then there's this long spiral very skinny it almost reminds you of like the mattress spring but it's not it's really long and you shake it and it creates this really low sound, and then the sound just fills up the room. So it's like this whole vibration type thing. It's really, it's really cool. It actually sounds like a storm coming. I think I use that in my track, Kaya Nike, on uh, for Black Origami. interesting you use fruity loops yeah yeah, yeah yeah i use i use reason five too though i reason five and six and then i also use sony acid pro i'm old school so wow. <laughs> yeah that's something i'm sure a lot of people haven't heard in quite some so that's time all, that's all audio right that's uh yeah it's audio it's yeah. audio it's audio but you can also like usually i, I might go in there and tweak a drum sound or yeah. something like that in there like yeah so okay. i may take it straight from machine and then put it inside of uh sony are you like opening like the different applications or are you like slaving them to one thing um i had to get a computer so that i was able to do that because mm-hmm. at first i didn't have a computer that i could just slave everything and what i mean by that was it could slave it but it would start glitching would, really yeah, yeah, yeah really badly yeah. so then but now that i have a computer thank god um, after ha- I'm having two bad shows of my computer malfunctioning, and I, so mm. I just went and bought a brand new laptop altogether last year, and this, I haven't had this problem since, of course. <laughs> um, what, what do you use for your live shows? Is it, are you DJing? I am. Um, no, I'm Ableton Push. Okay. Ableton Push too. Yeah, I, I do know how to DJ though. Yeah. And so. Um, Cause I, always, but, I, thought, I thought you were a DJ. No, yeah, I'm definitely, no. I'm, I de- actually, you know, I always tell, I have a phrase I always tell people, I say, don't DJ me. And they're like, what do you mean? Don't DJ you. Don't DJ me. Yeah. Don't DJ me. <laughs> don't DJ me. <laughs> no, not my music, but like, don't, you know, because I don't, I'm, I don't. Don't put me on a bill as a DJ. Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah, cool. yeah Like, yes, yeah, please yeah. don't DJ me. Because I don't, I don't think I've, you know, I just. I think I can do so much more than DJ. And there's nothing wrong with DJ. All my friends. I have so many friends that are DJs. But I feel like I don't, uh, as, as much as hard work as they put into it, I think my hard work goes into the creating process. You know, of them, the, the, their craft of and love for DJing is my, well, is equivalent to my craft and love for composing. So that's why I say don't DJ me. See, my problem is I'm a DJ and producer. <laughs> right, right, right. But I find it sometimes really hard to DJ my own songs. And, I had to learn. And this becomes a problem. Yeah, yeah. So I try, I guess I try and keep them separate now mm-hmm. and just be, when I DJ, it's for the party. Maybe I'll put in a couple of my tunes in there. I have a suggestion because I know I had this same issue when I first started, even though I did technically really just start like, what was it? Oh, my first show was in 2015. That my entire career I performed at MoMA. And from first crowd was 4,000 people. So yeah. That was your first show? Yes, no pressure. Right. So <laughs> my heart felt like it was in my stomach. But like when it came to learning my sound and learning what it was, 
um, when you say you're having a hard time, if you can get in tune with, do, do you know your patterns? No, I mean, like, not, not do you know your patterns musically. Like, do you know your own patterns as if you were having an outer body experience? Like, I know exactly what I would do. I don't know. That probably sounds crazy. That's the thing. I don't know what I'm doing half the okay. time. Okay. Yeah. I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Then I was about to say, it's almost like you have to become two people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is this is my thing. I'm a yeah. Gemini as well. I'm like, you know, I just, I can't <laughs> stick to one personality. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a Leo. I don't know how I do it. It's quite <laughs> insane. I think I have such control issues and, oh God, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So... Getting into, because when I was listening to your music, I found it quite interesting that I had no pinpoint. And what I mean by that is, is I'm like, if I had to guess, like, what we, what do you like artistically? I mean, well, no, I shouldn't say what music inspires you. Mm. I didn't have a pinpoint. And I was so happy that I didn't have one. Because you know how you can listen to a person's records after about the fourth one. You're like, oh, okay, I kind of see where this sure. is going. Yeah. But I didn't have a, I didn't have that with you. So I really, I commend you for that. because it's, it's a gift and a curse. I really like that there's no reference point sure. to you. I think yeah. it's great. But that also... Also, I know the curse part is that means you can end up in the wrong space too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what I do want to know is like, who inspires you artistically? I think I'm a a hybrid producer okay. and a okay. DJ. And when I DJ, it goes from like like 100 BPM all the way up to 160, mm. and it could be like a lot of R&B, hip hop, what we call bass music. Um, it can go to grime. Might play a cheeky dubstep tune or early dubstep tune, I should say. Um, I can play footwork so that's my mentality that I'm just like I could do I could do I could do that mm -hmm. and then all of that mm -hmm. kind of informs my productions right. so when I come back home from touring or playing shows I'm like right I'm, I'm back at home because I can't write on the road I need my things I need my okay. my little studio mm -hmm. um, so I you know just digest everything Mm -hmm. and then come back home and start working and experimenting. I've recently just decided not to stick to a BPM. Mm. Um, Very smart. And distractions, it's just all over the place. Mm -hmm. It's distracting. <laughs> um, so it can go from like a, like, yes, like 100 BPM stuff mm -hmm. to like 75 or something stupid like that. No, I, and I don't consider that stupid because I have to say, I see your big tech life hat here. <laughs> and so I have to, um, when you were talking about, you know, you don't stay in the same BPM. I really like that because I get put in the category of footwork all the exactly. time. I could say and scream it from the top of a rooftop that I am not a footwork artist, but in the next article or of some sort, yeah. you see me. I mean, me. I've had that problem as well. Exactly. Like, it's just being labeled dubstep. You're just a 140 BPM. Completely. Right. Person. You're not even an artist. You're just, and ex and exactly. you're just that. And, and so pigeonholed. Exactly. You're completely pigeonholed. And this was a really a big thing for me with Black Origami. Because even when I'll give you a classic example, like when Nia Kenya Rise had come out, that is no way in hell you could say that that was a footwork track. But they were still naming and saying Jalen's footwork track. And I was just like, I was yeah. I was screaming on I guess people would say it's a different type of footwork. They, yeah, but now they've put, and it's like, but it, it, what, I, what I, I've never understood is like, People change mm -hmm. and the art. The, people the, evolve. People evolve. And so it's like, like I can't. Exactly. It's like, I can't say, okay, you started off in dubstep. Okay, so you might want to make a R&B album the next thing you do. You never shake the title. Mm -hmm. And so 
when you have to actually listen back, you almost have to really do become two people sometimes because you listen back and you say, is it me? Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's like, but you're so far ahead of what you're doing. Right. Like you made an album. It could have been made. Well, my album was finished late last year. Okay. So okay. there's been a, like six, seven month gap now. So yeah, I mean, like nobody knows my sound now, like right. presently. Things come out slowly or people think that's you now. Right. But it was you last year. Last but year. But it's only coming out now. Right. Exactly. And I think people forget that. I forget that too. And I need to remind myself. Even with Black Origami, the last three tracks of um, that I had made on it, my whole theme was I just really wanted to make time and space disappear. And I really didn't start touching that until maybe the last three tracks of the album. And so like I really, you know, I have a ways to go. Can you talk more about the last three tracks of the album? Yeah, sure. I'm talking about not, they're not in the order of which I had done them, but I'm talking yeah, about yeah, that I had, yeah, the way the that I, yeah. Because yeah, they sound very, they're not, I don't know, black origami-ish? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get, so, yeah, the, so yeah, yeah. So then there's like, okay, so there's like 1% with me and Holly. And then there's Holy Child with me and William Basinski. And then that is probably the track that I felt the freest doing. Mm -hmm. And then um, there's Challenge, which is just me. And so I also felt very free doing Challenge too. Going back to Holy Child, that was the first time in my career that I had, I have actually felt that I said, my God, I've never felt so free creatively ever. Mm -hmm. And like, I can go back. Actually, was when there I, something technically? No, in there? it was a feeling. It's, a, it was, it's not, it's not a technical thing. It's just like, because you know yourself very well. And it's like, you know, even though something that you have done may be, good and a lot of people may love it like people okay they love dark energy i probably at this point you know with black origami being out i feel, i would consider it quite naive at this point black origami is naive dark, dark energy, energy is naive to me yeah. now versus black origami. would you say it's because you it's like your first album no because i would have to say probably because of like the growth factor is it can't be ignored mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying like it's really i think it's there and it's just like, and I, but I always feel like I'm never satisfied with any of my work, so I'm probably the worst person to ask when it comes to this anyway. People are like, this is amazing, this is wonderful, and I'm just like, but it could have been better. It could have been way better. Like, that's... <laughs> I feel I'm, that way sometimes. I'm like, did you not notice that? You like, didn't notice bad that? Bad automation. Like, no, just in my text, I'm like, you didn't, nobody noticed that. Cool. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it could have been better. What I, one, one thing I do notice about your work, but I really, I would love to know if you do this, if, you, if this is one of your practices of, um, are you like an effects person? Do you like effects? Yeah, I okay. love, I okay. love really long reverbs. You know, okay, okay. Because I, I know, yeah, I, I was about to say, because I, I was I listening just to reverb the... on anything. Okay, everything. okay. okay. I, I, have, I don't know. Yeah, reverbs and chorus. And chorus. Yeah. Okay, so nice. So usually I'll run my synths in a chorus first and then reverb with some long decay. Okay. Um, And sometimes 100% wet because, yeah. Nice, And nice. I can switch between the two. Like, I can put my effects in my software that I'm working with. Mm -hmm. Or I can use, I've got like a few little guitar pedals mm -hmm. that I like to mess around with okay. just to like make a chain and I kind of do it when I get bored of my synths mm -hmm. um, so I try and change the instrument almost change this synth into something completely different just by using effects I think that's amazing because uh, you want to get your money's worth I'm not like I want to exhaust all my things exactly uh, no, this I, is my thing that I, I love to do I, th I think that's I'm, I commend you for saying I've that bought I it, I've that's... saved money yeah I've made money from music and I'm going to put money back into that music what's your th like three favorite pieces of hardware <sighs> I mean 
this this will change like every two three years but mm. um i got a korg poly 61 mm-hmm. um i think that was trying to compete with the roland juno 106 this synth that i have hasn't got any midi <laughs> so um ableton gave me a- ableton so i started using ableton and i was like right i can manipulate audio so well i don't even need midi i can just play yeah, with my and shit Ableton is amazing, isn't it? and i can zoom straight into it yeah. and cut out ev- like all the bits of dust in that audio mm. i can leave it in i can use that for whatever these days i need to i need to work like this is a career now so right, exactly um i need to like make tunes not quickly but you know with efficiency i guess this is not mass production right it's not mass production we are not machines you Mm -hmm. know and you do need to break that's often something that we artists don't talk about which is you know your mental and your physical health care we don't talk about when we're on the road and we're switching all these different time zones like this and you know and when people come to see us play it's like you know they're having a great time we might be up there exhausted with 102 temperature and you know if this is not something yeah, you yeah. know that really gets talked about exactly often, you know it's taken for it's very taken yeah. for granted i think people find it a little bit glamorous right and it's like you know half the time it's it's hard work and your mind has to be exactly. switched on constantly you can't afford to mess up because it messes with your money and then you mess with your fans as well you know right, exactly. people that want to come out and see you let me ask you so are you that's i'm happy you brought that up when you play are you thinking about the crowd or are you thinking or are you playing from yourself a little bit of both okay i used to be really bad and just play for myself like i, I used to play a lot of like industrial techno mm-hmm. and then mix it in with like ray strummond or something and it would mm-hmm. just like freak people out and i'm like I'm kind of loving this, but I'm kind of doing it. I don't know. It's back to being an iconoclast. I'm just being cheeky. Okay. But um, yeah, over time, I was like, no, nah, that's really selfish. Like, <laughs> you gotta stop doing that shit. Okay. <laughs> like, just get your shit together yeah. and and you know, program your sets a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> don't get overexcited <laughs> or drunk as well. This is a problem as well. Like, there's uh, so much alcohol around you. Oh yeah, yeah this is very weird. it's very true. People often ask me, they're like, Jay, you want to drink? And I'm like, no. And then you're even good, after, you're good. You're very even good. <laughs> Even after the show, they're like, hey, you want a drink? And I'm like, no, I just, now I want to go back to the hotel room and go to sleep because my flight is at 8 a.m. and it's 3.30 you You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like. I'm glad you're, like, able to do that because I am I still haven't learned my lesson. <laughs> yeah, we all have our struggles. Thank you to Jaylin and Iconica, and remember that both of their new albums are out now. We've reached the midpoint of 2017, so last month I gathered three of RA's editorial staff to get their personal highlights of the year so far. 
It was a ridiculously hot day in London, so instead of gathering in our stuffy studio, we decided to take the conversation to a nearby park. We found some shade under a tree and I asked everyone to tell me who or what has excited them the most so far this year. This is the hour from Resident Advisor. So, exciting one this month, joined by Holly Dicker over from Rotterdam. Yeah, hi, I'm Holly, staff writer, visiting the London office this sunny week. Hello, uh, I'm Ray Philp, I'm one of two reviews editors uh, on the staff, and uh, I'm based in London. And I'm Martha, and I produce The Hour every month here in London. Okay, so we're gathered in this idyllic setting to talk about who or what has excited us the most so far in 2017. Holly, in the email uh, reply you sent back to me, you said, I think I'm going to have, you put have in two stars, have to talk about GABA. Uh, Please explain, why is this such a, a pressing topic for you? Okay, well, I'm based in Rotterdam, which is also known as the birth of GABA. It may have been seeded in Amsterdam but that's slightly debatable it definitely became a thing in Rotterdam Um, I have to talk about it purely because um, three sets that I've seen this year that have completely blown me away have all been GABA sets all very different different settings from three very different uh, artists so um, the first one was Bleaching Agents closing set at Unpolished in Amsterdam So he uh, stepped up at 8am, fresh as a daisy, and unleashed pure hell, (laughs) is all I can really describe it. You can also go back and listen to the mix, because everything was recorded. Um, So I guess to set the scene, the night um, started with some techno from people like... uh, like Perk and Randomer played together, um, M- MPIA3, do you say that? Yes, you like yeah, that? I think, yeah. That's uh, the trust thing, I yeah. think, yeah, okay. And then things slightly got harder, A&D stepped up. Uh, meanwhile, the Horace was playing in the smaller room at the back um, with some sprinkling of Gabba, but he sort of does a lot of different things. Okay, so uh, it's called Unpolished, and the name in this case is pretty instructive. Uh, well, um, I can tell you their tagline. So Unpolished is uh, Reactor's most hardline techno concept, and that pretty much sums it up. Um, but obviously, it all went out the window when Bleach and Agent stepped up. <laughs> okay, because yeah, th- there is a, a slightly um, interesting broader context at play here. So you wrote an event review, you talked about it really enthusiastically. Um, Admittedly, not many others on the team had even heard of the event, but it's wound up being one of our most viewed event reviews of the year. Um, Was that surprising to you? Or are we sort of talking about like a a latent, like hard techno following uh, among RA readers, do you think? Well, as soon as it went up for sale, it was sold out like within hours without like, a lineup even being announced I, I assume so but yeah it um it was my first unpolished um i have been to uh, so it's run by reactor they're based at warehouse elemental strat so i've been to the venue before it's sort of like an empty warehouse and they sort of reactor every event they do they move the place around so it's kind of like a bare bones thing um 
but I didn't really know what to expect. I, w- if I'm being honest, I was going to see the Horrorist, and it was wonderful. But yeah, it was basically absolutely rammed from start to finish. There was a huge queue around the block um, before midnight as we arrived. So yes, there's obviously a massive following going. <laughs> uh, okay, but it's been part of a, a pattern for you this year, and right. there was a couple of other notable sets. Yes, yeah, so that, um, and then um, in. To check a few months ago, I went to Intonal Festival in Malmo in Sweden. Um, in general, I'd say it was quite a sort of sit-down concert style, very highbrow, intellectual, thinky festival. And then, <laughs> and then something wonderful happened around 1 a.m. Uh, when um, a crew from Stockholm in Sweden blew in. <laughs> And um, hey, played sorry, a Gabba set. You've you got to expand on Blue In. Um, <laughs> so they're called uh, Drum for Colterton. Um, it was a trio um, consisting of Katia Lindberg, who uh, produces and DJs as Hajj 300, Lois Nigren, and Cecil Vincent. Um, I think there's a couple of others involved. They've got um, an actual studio space in Stockholm. Um, so they were all set up in what I can only describe as a corridor, which is like a little pass, uh, a thoroughfare from one bar to another venue. Very small. Uh, they were set up, and then I think it only took about one track for them to suddenly slip into 190 BPM blistering gabba, and it was wonderful. It brought a smile to all of our faces, is all I can say. To say uh, the least, uh, from the sounds of it. You seem to be describing something of a uh, contemporary GABA movement, or at least there seems to be uh, an increase in interest in the sound. I mean, as someone who's been following this music, presumably for some time, does it feel like more people are interested at the moment? I think what was interesting about those two sets is, um, so Bleach Agent, obviously doesn't normally do this kind of thing it was a special actually it started as a I think he played the last unpolished and as a joke to the promoter he was like oh next time I'll do a gabba set and he did and he okay. absolutely brought it brought it out and um as for the this Stockholm crew I I don't know much about the scene in Stockholm but everyone who was there really enjoyed it I know that there's some there's some contemporary bits going on um I know that the decarboni for example from uh, repitch he sort of dabbled in some gabba and there's this parisian troupe called casual gabbers but i don't know i'm i what i'm talking about is sort of the original 90s hardcore yes, okay, yeah, dutch yeah. thing because it's the big one coming up towards the end of the year there right? is a massive one coming up so gabba's popularity has sort of came about largely because of this event it's called thunderdome it's celebrating 25 years in Utrecht in October, and I can't wait. My um, highlight of the year so far has actually been um, an unexpected free gig on 
um, Liberation Day, which is May the 5th in Holland. Um, throughout Holland, they have big, big free parties. Um, I just happened across the one in my neighborhood. Um, the Gabba father of it all, DJ Paul Etzlack, was playing as per usual. Um, and I've never seen so many people uni united in moshing along to hard as nails Gabba music. What's the dancing like? It's wonderful. I don't know how to do it. Um, I think, it, but you know what? It's everywhere. If you go to any party in Holland, a techno party, there'll be there'll be some of it popping off. My friend described it as like a bunny bunny dance. I think that's enough, right? <laughs> yeah, got it. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess what, what else are you going to do at 190 beats per minute? Ray, uh, you're making your debut on the hour. Uh, hi, yeah. How, how do you feel? Uh, nervous, excited, all the usual things you get, you know, before the big game. Okay, well, welcome, welcome. Um, so you went to field day this year and you saw an act uh, and people were talking about this act. Yeah. Please um, fill us in. Yeah, so um, I went to see a fixed twin. Um, uh, everyone had, a few people had told me that... Um, it was the first show he'd done in London in five years, which I guess immediately gave the thing a sense of occasion. Um, what was also interesting was that, um, you know, Aphex Twin was, I guess, part of the conversation at the festival before he'd long before he'd begun playing because there was a merchandise stall that had been set up kind of on the quiet, um, which was selling sort of um, a couple of logo Aphex Twin t-shirts and, uh, and uh, a 12-inch with... Uh, 11 tracks on it which was more or less like the one he released in texas i think um, oh, a couple of years ago gig yes i think it's actually the end of last year was i it? think yeah i think that was the last one he did before these european shows sure um so it, it was it was similar in the sense that it was released you know in uh uh it was released in tandem with a specific event um, and the name of the EP was like London and the date of the performance. So I think that was 3rd of June. Anyway, um, so people were wear, like carrying around like Aphex Twin carrier bags with the record in, inside and wearing the T-shirts. So, you know, kind of before, like by the afternoon, there was just Aphex Twin um, stuff everywhere. And, you know, kind of, I guess in some way, it made me quite excited for how this gig might pan out. Um, the gig was held in this kind of, air hangar, um, aircraft style uh, hangar space. Uh, I don't think it had been in previous field day festivals before, so it was you know, a new thing. Um, it was a very, very vast arena. Um, and uh, so when I got into that tent, I managed to sort of squeeze at the front and, um, and was kind of, um, uh, just saw the scale of production involved. So there were 12 screens, there was a bunch of lasers kind of, you know, um, going off at some point during the gig and um it was uh in tandem with the music i mean all that stuff felt like basically like sensory overload it was uh a complete um yeah it was it was complete like chaos in a sense I, what were the scenes like down the front i i was sort of safely towards the back third but i was imagining the sure. front being absolute scrum well 
um, what was funny was there was a guy who was next to me who said uh, that hardcore Aphex Twin fans are really nice and so they won't start punching in or pushing in. And to an extent that was true because, I mean, it never, it never got that hairy. But, I mean, people were like certainly kind of being pretty ruthless about getting to the front or like squeezing past people. So it was a bit of a scrum, but it was like generally like, yeah, pretty good natured given the amount of people that were squeezed into this space. Um, and yeah, in ter- getting on to the actual music, I mean, what... I, I kind of haven't seen Aphex Twin play in a long time, so uh, I think the last time I saw him was at Sonar about five or six years ago. So um, I didn't really have that much um, that much of a sort of uh, expectation for how this would turn out. But I guess what I was really impressed by was just the um, the variety and the craziness of this music. Because like I can't think of many other artists who would pack a tent of that size playing such challenging electronic music. I mean, it was really pretty amazing that so many people seem to kind of really go for this um i think there was one particular moment that kind of summed up the kind of contrasts he was uh making in this set so i remember there was like a an underground resistance track called um uh oh, what was it called um method of force um and then uh he he then played a shaped noise track which was like you know pray uh, yeah pray hard pray unforgiving um, just kind of you know bursts of noise basically, and then he somehow the, the next the track after that was Immunitinium um, by Roy of the Ravers, um, and so I think just all of these tracks in sequence were really interesting and kind of characterised the sudden jolts in style and tempo that this set underwent over the course of the two hours, and um, yeah, I basically found this all really impressive and. Um, I think you, um, sorry to uh, cut in there. Were you at all surprised at um, how up on things he seems to be? Because uh, there are a bunch of artists, you can look over the track list, and there are a bunch of artists who you know may, maybe emerged in the last six to 12 months or something. I think for me personally, I, I did find it somewhat surprising that he was he was checking i don't know you you always imagine him like cloistered away in in his bunker in cornwall or something with with absolutely no eyes on the scene <laughs> and you're like oh shit he's playing like uh chino Imobi or he's playing like lorenzo seni or something yeah this is it like um i was reading a pitchfork interview um that apex twin had done with philip sherburn i think it was published in 2014 and um, uh, Philip had sort of asked him this question about, um, you know, do you? Mi- I think it was something along the lines of, do you miss having this dialogue with Jungle that you used to have in the nineties? And he'd said yes because what's replaced, I guess, that the scene to which Aphex Twin was sort of uh, talking to and responding to um, has now been replaced in Aphex's sort of. I'm paraphrasing here by the kind of big blob of internet where the scenes are very ill-defined and uh, often inseparable, um, and or inseparable to some extent. Um, and I guess um, what that, I guess the variety of the music he, that he was playing in a set spoke to the fact that he's, I guess, engaging with this um, with this new world and coming to terms with it. And, uh, you know, as you say, he, play, he played um, a, Chino Mobi, a Chino Amobi track. Um, he played uh, Shapes Noise. Um, he was playing, but he was also playing a lot of uh, Aphex tracks both old and new um, I, he played at least one track from the EP that he released that day um, pretty early on the, the the B1 which I think is actually really really good um, and the um, you know and, and like a polygon window record and um, I think it was uh, Audax powder something like that and um, 
there yeah there were as you say there was just there was just a lot of um of like new and vital seeming music that that was being mixed in amongst all this and it all made sense and i think the kind of uh, cohesiveness of the of the, all this music was just really impressive. Did you come away from the performance feeling like it uh, lived up to the hype? Yeah, I had yeah, um, because uh, I think for some people, I don't think any Aphex Twin performance would be good enough uh, because it's obviously an artist who inspires like so much, um, so much strong opinion. And I think for lots of types of Aphex Twin fans, there will always be one record or one gig that will never be surpassed because obviously these things just provoke really strong emotions and that's uh, entirely understandable. I think for me, what I was thinking, I wasn't only thinking of my experience during that gig. I was kind of thinking of like, you know, younger guys who either, uh, or indeed girls who um, have either only had a casual understanding of Aphex Twin music or just come in to, and, and been curious about what this what this weird logo artist was and had sort of, you know, I'd imagine that some of them would have hated it and left, but maybe other people would have actually really st stuck with it and found it pretty transformative. Um, and I'm quite envious of being young and not really knowing very much about this sort of thing. And the idea of being blown away by that was like really, uh, really excites me for both them and like a younger version of me. So um, I think that, uh, I think I'm not only thinking in terms of my experience and whether it met up to my expectations, but also other people who may not have had any at all and been sort of really surprised by it. Martha, let's uh, move on and talk about your selection. You've gone for Proc, uh, Proc Fiscal in general or Proc Fiscal's EP release? Mm, Proc Fiscal in general, maybe, just because I only found out about him this year. But yeah, he's a Scottish grime producer and he released his Highland Mob EP with Hyperdub. And I actually found this guy like 2 a.m. on a Wednesday at Corsica Studios for the Hyperdub night which is monthly at Corsica. And which is uh, kind of becoming a bit of a thing at this point, isn't it? Yeah, it's a <laughs> massive thing for me. I've been to like nearly every single one and it's just like a really special, it feels like a thing when you go there. And like people from the first parties like talk to you at the next one. It's like, oh, you're at the first one. And to me, that's like the feeling of like a little community growing, which is really cool. And the programming is always amazing and surprising as well. So yeah, because it's uh, so I haven't made it to one yet, but it's the case that they're doing the sort of more visual orientated stuff in the first room, and then all of the music's in the second room. Is that yeah, right? room one is um, an art installation, some sort of visual art. Like they had for Iconica's EP launch, they had Mungo doing the visuals in room one, and then just music uh, straight through in room two, and the sound is amazing in room two. Uh, so you can, no matter where you're standing in Corsica in room two, you're gonna have a good time basically and yeah this is the party that Bjork played that everyone was very excited about <laughs> uh, which was really really good I was there lurking she started off with thunder sounds and five minutes of birds tweeting so it was pretty left 
gets pretty into it. But yeah, for this particular night, uh, I was watching Kesey play her set, which was really great. I'm a big fan of hers. And then her set ended. I was like, well, should be sensible, should go home. It is Wednesday after all. Uh, but then this guy came on the decks and like, I was actually blown away from the first track. I was like, what is this? What is it? And it's just like really hyperactive. His kind of take on grime is just like really fresh and really exciting. I really like him. told me about what his name actually means Scottish thing yeah exactly um uh, I am um, so like at the end of uh, I remember like just watching Scottish television news uh, and like it would be uh, whenever there was like a little segment about a crime report there would be like a little line at the end of this thing without fail it was like a report has been submitted to the procurator fiscal and that and, uh, and I when I read about um, this uh when i read about this um when i first found out about this record um by proc fiscal i kind of put two and two together and i was like ah proc fiscal procurator fiscal yeah so that's um basically a procurator fiscal is um uh you know i i think i need to get a lawyer friend at this point to explain this properly but essentially it's like this figure who kind of acts as a liaison i think between the courts and the police he's like a public prosecutor who i think and uh sort of uh looks into uh you know deaths and uh various other types of crime yeah well after you told me that i dm'd prop fiscal on instagram and said is that where you get your name from he was like yeah i just saw it on tv thought it sounded cool so you were right there we go <laughs> but this uh, but I'm hearing words like uh, death uh, tied up in this name but uh, musically speaking I mean uh, the idea of death is very far from my mind when I'm, yeah, I'm listening to his stuff it's really high energy and sounds really good and uh, I started playing because I do a show on Radar Radio and I started playing a track and there's like the ultimate compliment at Radar is basically if you're playing a song and people like burst in like what is this and that happened when I was playing one of his songs so that's how you know he's good and do we know anything about the idea that there might be some sort of stirrings of a grime scene in Scotland I mean it, it strikes me as a sort of thing that's like uh, catnip to journalists you know everyone really likes the idea it's like oh yeah grime in Scotland um, but have you come across other producers um, not so much producers but um, there is Ransom FA is like an MC and Chrissy Grimes as well as an MC and they have like a little thing going which is really really exciting. The accent is super strong. It's just it's really good to hear like it's spreading all over the country. I really like it. Yeah, I mean I was doing some digging. There was a compilation on a label called Plasma Abuse. Uh, this overdose compilation. I guess that was one of the first things that Proc Fiscal released with. Seemed to be all Scottish artists, but uh, I'm not going to claim any like you know weight of understanding or. or authority on this yeah no it's interesting i'm very excited to hear more
that's it for this month's show. Thank you for listening. Join us next month when we'll be looking into the art of DJs opening tracks.